morning, church. Our reading this morning is from Luke 4, verses 1 to 19, and I'm reading to you from the NIV translation. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all the authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give you and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to test. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until the opportune time. Jesus then returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as, as, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom from, uh, for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. How are you all doing this morning? Holding well? It's always a great privilege for me to be able to have the opportunity to share God's word. And I know it feels like a mere formality, but perhaps it's more for myself to remain grounded. I take this task very seriously. Um, and on Sundays like these, when I think about the fact that the Spirit of God is in this place, um, I think Mr. Yaku said, ne? I, 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 I'm in the presence of other believers, and as I worship God, I'm like, Yo, but Lord, you're here. So to come up and then to be the one who has the privilege of sharing God's word, it's, it's, it, it, it's, it's not something I take lightly. My name is Morendeni Nefale, and I have the privilege of sharing God's word with you this morning. Um, we're currently going through a series called That's Great News. 
Last week we looked at the perfect birth of Jesus. Um, today we're looking at the perfect life of Jesus. Um, you would have heard Josie speaking earlier on as she's talking about the fact that we're a gospel-centered, disciple-making, transcultural church. And the gospel-centered part said, uh, we believe in a life centered and saturated around the truth of the perfect birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension, and return of Jesus, affirming him as Lord and Savior. So today, we're looking at the perfect birth, the perfect life. We're looking at the perfect life as characterized by Jesus' holiness and his love. So the title of our message is A Holy and Loving Jesus. A Holy and Loving Jesus. And these are the four points we'll be walking through this morning. Firstly, Jesus lived a holy life. Secondly, Jesus lived a loving life. Thirdly, you can live like Jesus. And we will conclude with the fact that you can turn to Jesus. So the first two points we'll be looking at, the life of Jesus, his holiness, his loving nature, what that means within the context of the perfect life. And then we'll conclude this morning with two points. What does that mean for us? We're going to talk about the fact that we have the ability to live like Jesus and conclude with the encouraging truth that we can turn to Jesus. Let me pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you this day. and We thank you that you are a, a loving God. We thank you that you... You are a holy God. We thank you for your perfect life. This morning, Lord Jesus, I pray that you may be with each one of us, Lord. May you speak through me this morning, Lord God. May you speak to your people this morning, Heavenly Father. Let us know what you want us to hear. Be with us this morning, Father. May you continue to move among us this morning, Lord Jesus. Bless our time together. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The perfect life of Jesus is great news. The gospel of Jesus is great news. Being a Christian, being a true follower of Jesus is being part of great news. No matter what is going on in your life, we are part of great news. We experience great news. We live great news. We share great news. May that never be lost on us, church. No matter what you're going through. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. That's great news. This week we look at the great news of the gospel of Jesus through his perfect life. We'll be specifically looking at our teaching text this morning and how we experience the perfect life of Jesus. And so as we get straight into our first point then, which is Jesus lived a holy life. You see, it matters that Jesus lived a holy life. In the, in the biblical text, the, the, the Greek word for holiness is, 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 is hagios, which means to be set apart by God, to be set apart for God, to be sanctified, to be made holy. In contrast, the, the Greek word for sin is hamartia, which means to miss the mark, to stray from the things of God. And in our text, Satan tried to get Jesus to stray from the things of God. Satan tried to get Jesus to fall to temptation. Praise God, he didn't. And by the way, when we say it matters that Jesus lived a holy life, if you think about the question, if Jesus didn't live a holy life, would there be implications? 
There's a reason Satan did what he did. To attempt to bring Jesus down. Because it matters, church, that Jesus lived a holy life. That he was a holy God. There are theological thoughts out there, and I've heard people say, yeah, no, it's okay if, if God is not perfect. It's okay if God could make mistakes. I'm like, no, but theologically, surely that doesn't make sense. It matters that Jesus lived a holy life. So in our teaching text, we'll see um, in verses 3, verses 7, and verses 9, we see Satan attempting to tempt Jesus. In verse 3, it says, Jesus, Satan says to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, Turn the, 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 the stone to bread. He goes on to say in verse 7, uh, uh, I will give you everything that is in front of you, in front of you. For I, for, for I've been given authority to have access to this. And if you worship me, I will give it to you. In verse 9, Satan again questions the identity of Jesus. He says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself off of this mountain. Remember that prior to Luke chapter 4 and Luke chapter 3, Jesus had just gotten baptized. And do you remember what happened? The Bible says the heavens opened up, the Spirit of the Lord descended on him, and what did God say? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God confirmed Jesus' identity at that moment. And literally the next chapter, what does Satan do? He tries to question and challenge the identity of Jesus. He tries to challenge it. As he's trying to challenge us now. This is great news, church. Jesus then, knowing his own identity, is able to stand firm. Look at verses 4, verses 8, and verses 12. What does Jesus say? It is written. They say, Satan, don't try and confuse me, because I know what the Bible says. I know what God says about me. And then he, he goes on to say what is actually written. He says, man shall not live on bread alone, in verse 4. In verse 8, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Verse 12, do not put the Lord your God to the test. One of the things I want us to be encouraged by this morning, church, is the fact that the holy life that Jesus lived, it's not the supernatural life that is not attainable. The things that Jesus did, you and I can do. So the Bible doesn't tell us that Jesus called all the angels from heaven and said, help me now to overcome Satan. Jesus, dare I say, simply quoted scripture. Scripture that you and I have access to. Jesus stood firm at the face of trial, at the face of temptation. Jesus lived a holy life because it matters that Jesus lived a holy life. You see, because he was then able to, to take the qualified position of being a satisfactory sacrifice. There's a word that they say he was a propitiatory sacrifice. Because he was sinless, because he lived a holy life. Look at these verses with me that talk about the holiness of Jesus' life, the sinlessness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 John 3 verse 5, but you know that he appeared as, so that he might take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Hebrews 4.15, 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we were. Yet he did not sin. 1 Peter 2 verse 21 to 22 To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Jesus lived a sinless life. The Bible teaches us that he lived a holy life because he lived a sinless life. As you look at Luke chapter 4, as you see verses 1 and 2 in our teaching text, this was the early, what they call the early stages of Jesus' public ministry. As I said, he had just been baptized. And once being baptized, receiving the Holy Spirit, he was unable to go out and minister accordingly. But as we see in this text, Jesus then sets the tone for how he was going to live his life. He sets the tone for us. And what is that tone? That he trusted God. He lived in fear and reverence of God. That he had a close relationship with God. That he lived a life led by the Spirit. That he lived a life founded on the Word. Have a look at verses 1 and 2. What does the Bible say? Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert. Where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was hungry. In the parallel passage in Matthew it says Jesus fasted for 40 days. And the, 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 the process of fasting is you, 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 you sacrifice food. You sacrifice sustenance. That which you need to literally live for God. To spend time with God. To spend time in prayer with God. To spend time hearing God. So early on in Jesus' ministry, he starts off by saying, Yeah, Lord, I'm going to spend time with you and you alone. And so we see he fostered a close relationship with God. He feared and revered God, his Father. And he was led by the Spirit. You see, the man we see in Luke chapter 4, church, in all the Gospels, is a man who was a product of years of choices. The right choices. Laying the right foundations. Consistency in the right practices. Jesus wasn't a success overnight. I guess technically maybe he was because he's Jesus. But a success within the context of having the, the fortitude, having walked with Jesus, having walked with God for years. I, I mentioned a couple of Sundays ago that this year, so I'm, I'm 34 and I turned 35, I committed my life to Jesus when I was 15 years old. So I've been walking intentionally with Jesus for 20 years. By the grace of God. Still crazy when I think about that. But I look at the, the young man I was in 2002. And I look at the man that I am now in 2022. And I can encounter various challenges in life very differently to when I was 20 years ago. There were things that came with time. I know the scriptures the way I do now because over 20 years there's been an intentionality in reading the scriptures, in talking to God, in praying. Jesus was a byproduct of years of consistency. 
in Luke chapter 2, a few chapters back from our teaching text, we see the Bible tells us that Jesus, that, 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 that his mother and his father had taken him to the temple. Year in, year out, he was in the temple. Luke chapter 2 tells us that he was going back and forth with the religious leaders about the text. And he continued for years to learn the text. So in Luke 4, when we see Jesus quoting scripture, being able to discern when Satan is twisting the truth of God. Because by the way, do you see that Satan actually quoted scripture to Jesus? He, he, he didn't just randomly make statements. He, he chose the Bible, presented the Bible to Jesus, but because Jesus had been walking with God for years and he knew the scriptures intimately and the truth of what the scriptures meant, he was able to say, you're twisting the scripture. You remember what happened to Adam and Eve? <laughs> Did God really say? Questions what God said to us. Jesus lived a holy life in an attainable manner. I want us to be encouraged this morning to know that we can live the life that Jesus lived. And he did it in three ways. So for those who are notes takers, there are three ways that Jesus accomplished a holy, sinless life. One, he stayed close to God. Two, he was led by the Holy Spirit. And three, he was grounded in God's word. So in Luke chapter 4 verse 2, I already mentioned to you that he had practices in place where he stayed close to God, where he prayed, he fasted, consistently so. In Luke chapter 5 verse 16 and in Mark chapter 1 verse 35, the scriptures tell us that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. Church, may we not lose sight of the fact that when Jesus showed up in the communities, he showed up from a place of overflow. He had spent time with his father and thus he walked out in confidence. So he stayed close to God, he prayed, he read the scriptures. The second one, as I said, he was led by the spirit of God. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16, Paul teaches us that the spirit and the flesh are literally at war. The flesh says, I want you to conform to the desires of your lust and flesh. The Spirit says, I want you to live a life that honors God. And so he says, be, be led by the Spirit. So Jesus, when, when he's led by the Spirit, it's living a life that God designed for his children. To be led by the Spirit and not ourselves and not the, lust of, the lusts of the flesh. And then lastly, grounded in his word. Luke 4, verses 4, verses 8, verses 12. The first thing he said was that response. So this is great news, church, that Jesus did live a holy life. So our first point is merely to remind us, to show us in Scripture, how Jesus lived a holy life, how, how and where we saw Jesus living a sinless life. Second point this morning is Jesus lived a loving life. Matthew 22, verse 37 to 14, um, the Bible tells us that the religious leaders tried to test Jesus. They asked him, what's the greatest commandment? Thinking the Bible is so vast that, that at the time the Old Testament scriptures are so vast that there's no way he'll identify one scripture. But in the wisdom of God, Jesus said, the scriptures are summed up in two verses. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. He 
He says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two. Jesus loved God, his Father. And by the way, we see this with the first point. A life of holiness to his maker wasn't a, an expression and an overflow of his love. So, so my faithfulness to my wife is a confirmation of my love for her, right? I keep myself pure for her. That is, a, is an act of my love. My love for God is to honor that I must remain faithful to my wife. So when Jesus remains faithful to his God, it's an expression of his love for his God. The life that he lives. If you love God, if you love me, you will follow my commands, Jesus says. But now we see that Jesus then equally loves his people. The great commandment is love God and love, uh, love others. In Luke chapter 4, our teaching text, what we'll see, uh, it starts off by telling us that Jesus goes around teaching in the synagogue. God's desire, Jesus' desire for us to know the truth is part of his love for us. He doesn't want us to walk in deception. He wants us to walk in truth. His truth. That's part of his love for us. So the Bible tells us in verse 15 that he, he moved around teaching in the synagogues. Then he goes in verses 18 to 19 and it says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Again, Jesus set the tone for how he was going to live his life. If you look at verses 18 and 19, it speaks about the things Jesus would do, that God would, th- would do through Jesus, for the oppressed, for the prisoner, for the poor, for the marginalized. And the entirety of Jesus' life then was filled with that, with examples of that, as we'll walk through a little bit later in the message. See, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, Jesus laid the foundation for how he would live his life and ultimately how we should live our lives. Jesus loved his people. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 it's a scripture where, where, where the Bible talks about how wives should conduct themselves with their husbands and husbands should conduct themselves with their wives. And in verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for her. He sacrificed his life as a confirmation of his love for us, his church. Jesus loved us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God said, I love the world and therefore I gave my one and only son. See, loving others means you sacrifice. Loving others means you sacrifice. You give up your own desires. You, you give up self for others. And that's not to say you can't have nice things, by the way. There are churches that teach or as a Christian you must never have nice things. That's not to say that. Simply to say, you don't just think about your nice things. You think about other people having nice things. It says, love, love your wives as the way you love yourself. So the things we would do for ourselves. And that's the thing about the church. If we think about 
the, 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 the truth about the church. The things I'm willing to do my, for my wife, I must be willing to do for my brothers and sisters in Christ. By the way, that's a sermon for another day. I won't get into that. <laughs> this Christianity thing, church, it's, 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 not, it's not for children who want to play games. It's serious. It's great news. It's, it's, it's important truth. Um, there's a verse that I love, and I think we have it, that captures this essence of love and loving people and loving others. 1 John 3, verse 16 to 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Do you hear those words? Jesus says, how do you see, how do I see Shiami, and I always say Shiami because he's in front. It's not that I, I like him more than anyone else in the church, but I, I see Shiami right here. How do I see Shiami needing, needing bread? Use bread as an example. And I have bread literally here on my table. And I've had enough of that bread for today. And Shiami comes to me and says, I need bread today. And then Keramfet, God loves you, he's going to bless you, I will pray for you, go well. And then I take my bread, I walk past him, and then I go put it in the car. It's literally what Jesus is saying. How do you see a brother or sister who needs material possessions, and you have them, and you don't give it to them? How can you dare say the love of God is in you? Don't shoot the messenger. I'm telling you what the Bible says. When the Bible talks about love, church, it's a profound truth that calls us to action. And then you see what it concludes by saying, Dear children, let's not just love with words and with speech. Let's love with actions and in truth. So I share all of these things because when we look at the life of Jesus, this is what he did. We don't serve a God who talks the talk and doesn't walk the walk. Because you'll see the rest of Jesus' life. Early on in his ministry, in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, it says he, he, he preached these beautiful words. He shared these words. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to pro proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then, humanity waited to see what he would do with his life. It didn't just end with those eloquent words. He went on to back it, to back it up, to confirm it. Literally day after day after day. When you look at Jesus' life and how he lived his life, and how he his actions towards others go, you see the love that he had for his people, the love he had for humanity. Numerous times his acts towards his people are from a place of love and compassion. 
The word compassion means to have affection for, to show mercy, to show pity. It's an, it's an expression of love. And I love this word compassion because I think sometimes love, love is so broad that we can get lost in, in, in what love actually means. Compassion speaks to, I see Shiami in need and in need for bread. And by the way, Shiami, I talk about like Shiami, he's got bread right now as we speak. I'm just, again, it's an example. So he's saying, I see Shiami needs bread. I know it in my head that it's a sad reality. But with compassion, it says, I'm moved to action. I, I have this feeling and this emotion that, that, that shouldn't just end with a feeling and emotion. I'm moved to action. And, and check this out. I'm going to show you something very cool. I'm going to walk you through a couple of scriptural examples of the words compassion linked with the actions of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, Jesus goes into the crowd. They say he heals, he teaches, he, 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 rem- he, he casts out demons. And then he goes on to say in Matthew 9.36, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. He moved in their lives. He was, he was moved with compassion. Matthew 14.14, 14, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Matthew 15.32, Jesus called his disciples and said, I have compassion on the crowd. Because they've already stayed with me for three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry. Otherwise, they might collapse along the way. He goes on to feed them. Matthew 18, 27. Then the master of the servant had compassion, released him and forgave his loan. Speaking about the master. It's reference to God and his children and his people. Luke 17, Luke 7 verse 13. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and he said, don't weep, don't cry. Then he came up and touched the, the open coffin and the poor bearer stopped and he said, young man, I tell you to get up. He resurrected her, her, do- her son who had died. Luke 15, 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and threw his, and, and, and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. This is the parable of the prodigal son. If you look closely at the life of Jesus, when he talks about loving his people, you don't need to see him loving his people. You just need to see his actions. Because he confirms his love for his people in what he does. Jesus' interactions and actions towards his people are always from a place of love and compassion. And if you look, if you, if you open your Bibles with me, so if you have your Bibles physically, please hold them out. If you have them on your phone, please take out your phone. Um, you're going to use one button, which is the skip to the next chapter button. So we're going to look at Luke chapter four and we're going to move across the chapters, um, sort of consecutively, right? Have a look at this with me. Look at, look at what Jesus does. Luke chapter four, right? So it tells us then, Starts with Jesus healing the many. So I want you to look at the, the headings, if you can. In the Bible app, it might be, you might need to scroll a little bit, but take note of the headings. So in Luke chapter 4, we see one of the headings is Jesus heals the many. In Luke chapter 5, we see there's a heading that Jesus heals the paralytic. Luke chapter 6, we see that Jesus teaches the truth. Luke chapter 7, we see that Jesus raises a widow's son. Luke chapter 8, we see that Jesus heals a demon-possessed man. 
Luke chapter 8, we see that Jesus raises a dead girl. Luke chapter 8, we see that Jesus heals a sick woman. A woman with a ble- bleeding issue for 12 years. Luke chapter 9, we see that Jesus feeds the 5,000. Luke chapter 10 to the subsequent chapters, he continues to teach the truth. He sends out his disciples, showing his relationship with them. He, he, he loves the little children. The disciples want him to push the children away. He says, bring the little children that I may bless them, for God loves the little children. And ultimately concludes in each gospel by giving up his life. We did that in a short couple of seconds. You look at the entire scriptures, you see God moving. In people's lives. His movements, his actions are confirmation of his love. Um, yeah. You know, time runs away when you're preaching sometimes. Time is running away, but it's okay. You're still here, ne? You're still hearing God's word. You're still fine with me speaking. Praise the Lord. There's two points. I'll go through them quickly. But our first two points, again, we see the perfect life of Jesus characterized by his holiness and by his love. Now in the last two points, we're going to look at what does that mean for us? So firstly, it means we can live like Jesus. John 14 verse 12. I'm not sure if we have it. Uh, Ah, wonderful. Thank you, Rudolph. It says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. He will do even greater things than these because I go to the Father. So I'm a big sports fan. I watch a lot of sport. And when I thought about this verse, I thought to myself, it's almost like some of my favorite athletes telling me. So the question to, 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 the answer to my question for what talent would I choose? It would be athletic ability. My athletic ability is average right now. But it's like A.B. de Villiers coming to me and telling me, Morandini, you can, you can bat like I do. You can field like I do. It's like Brian Habana telling me, Emona, you can step defenders like I do. You can jump over the try line like I do. It's like Lionel Messi telling me, you can bend that free kick and put him in the top corner like I do. It's like Stephen Curry telling me that you can have the handles that I do and shoot the three-pointers like I do. If those individuals said that to me, I'd say, yo, this is amazing. Me, Muradin, I can live like you. (laughs) And yet Jesus says, I, me, Jesus, the Son of God, lived this amazing life and you indeed can live like You can do the things that I did. And in fact, you can do greater things. By the way, Jesus and his role in humanity is much more valuable than all those individuals I listed and their contributions to society. As important as it is, when we say this is great news, church, we're not saying this is great news that our our, our favorite uh, uh, artist is in town and we can go and see them performing. When we say great news, church, the news about the gospel of Jesus and the transforming power of Jesus is great. There are no greater news than those news. No greater news. So when Jesus tells us we can live like him, that's a truth of encouragement. And remember, Jesus lived an attainable life. I listed three things and three ways in which Jesus lived. A holy 
and ultimately a loving life. He stayed close to God. He was led by the Holy Spirit. He was grounded in the Word of God. Those are things that I can do. Those are things that you can do. The Bible tells us that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit and then he lived his public ministry. The Bible tells us that when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Spirit of God comes into us. And you'll notice in John 14 verse 12, Jesus says you can do these things and greater things because I go to the Father. You understand? We have access to the things that Jesus had in order to accomplish the things that he accomplished. The Spirit of the Lord is in us. Jesus himself is in us. So be encouraged, church, because you can live like, like Jesus lived. And that's great news. I'll conclude with our fourth and final point. I toyed with whether I would share point number this point first and then conclude with you can live like Jesus, but I think I, 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 I leaned more towards concluding here. And this is why um, when we opened up our worship set, the, the question was asked is, where are you? Last week, Reno asked the question, where are you? How are you doing? Um, and I know in the conversations we've had with one another that you have amongst yourselves, a lot of us are in difficult places. A lot of us are in painful places. You must never think your issues and your pains don't matter to God. You must never think that where you are is less important than where someone else is. Not to God. So we're going to end this morning with, with, with me asking the question, where are you? And concluding by saying you can turn to Jesus. Luke 4, 18 and 19, Jesus says to us, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. That's us. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. That's us. And recovery of sight for the blind. That's us. To release the oppressed. That's us. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In one form or another, that's us. And that's why Jesus came. In Luke 5.31, he says a physician, a doctor, doesn't come for those who are well. He comes for the sick. Jesus says in the same way, I, I came for the sick. I came for the sinners. Reino last week, teaching about the perfect birth of Jesus, there are two lines that he said that I want to say this morning. He said, Christ is enough to sustain us through the valleys and the hardships of life. Continued and he said, Christ is enough to refresh and to revitalize us in hard seasons of disorientation. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, come to me. Jesus didn't just live a perfect life for the sake of living a perfect life. He lived a perfect life 
that he could be a perfect and acceptable sacrifice to God, that we could have access to God. Jesus was sent by God for us. For you and I this morning. You can turn to Jesus. This year has been, it's been a hard year for my wife and I. Um, despite the blessings that we have, we're expecting our first son, praise the Lord. But it's been a hard life. It's been a hard year. It's been ups and downs. I won't share the, the full details, but in our city group, we've been able to walk the journey, been able to share. Um, there have been tears, there have been tears um, from my wife, not from me. There have been tears. Um, yeah, there have been hard conversations on our couch, on our bed. And we had to remind one another often to turn back to God. I'm sharing this because I'm telling you about how my, life, my wife and I live our lives and navigate our lives. Um, we've literally had to sit down and say, what does the Bible say? What do the scriptures say? Turn back to God. Church, I'm here to remind you and encourage you this morning that you can turn to Jesus. You can turn to Jesus. As we conclude, I want to ask a series of questions. Um, I want us to reflect on them. Do you know that you can turn to Jesus this morning? Ask yourself. There are those of us here this morning who are exhausted, fatigued, feel like we can't go any longer, can't go on. You can turn to Jesus. There are those of us this morning who are disheartened by the state of society, the brokenness of society, we see crimes, we see injustices, we see a heartbreak and pain in our world. We just feel like it's too much. You can turn to Jesus. There are those of us who are struggling in our marriages. There are those of us who have estranged relationships with a parent. Some of us were that parent and were estranged with our children. We haven't spoken for years. Now, those of us who have family members who we haven't been able to speak to, you can turn to Jesus. There are those among us who have illnesses, physical ailments. Some of us like feel like the woman with the bleeding issue for 12 years and you've been in pain for 12 years, longer than that. And turn to Jesus. For those of us experiencing challenges at work, at school, in our professional and academic careers, we can turn to Jesus. For those of us struggling to balance everything that's going on in our lives, we feel like we just can't anymore. 
can turn to Jesus. And those of us who are in financial distress, we just don't have money anymore. We're tired of not having enough. Every month we're asking God for a miracle and it's like, oh my God, again this month. We're tired of being burdens to other people. We can turn to Jesus. May those of us who have failed God and have sinned, we've missed the mark. We wish we could be like Jesus and say we stood firm, but we didn't. We're ashamed of ourselves. We can't look ourselves in the mirror anymore. We can't even pray. We can turn to Jesus. Let's bow our heads and pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're a God who loves his people. Thank you that you're a God who loves every single one of us who are here this morning. Thank you that you love all those who will be listening or watching this message later. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your perfect life. Thank you for your holy life, for your loving life. Thank you for what that means for us this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that it means we can live like you and do the things that you did and do even greater things. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can turn to you. Thank you that you tell us, come to me, all those who are weary, all those who are tired, all those who have burdens, and I will give you rest. Thank you, Jesus. Pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.